Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut, but if you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. If you don't know SiriusXM, then listen up. Commercial-free music plus sports, comedy, talk, and news. They have it all. And right now, you can get your first three months of SiriusXM outside the car for just $1. Go to SiriusXM.com busted to see offer details and to subscribe. Offer available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM, no car required. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM, Fight Nation, channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, Bully Ray and I sit down and talk to Lance Archer coming off the heels of a phenomenal breakout performance in the G1 Climax Tournament. And we speak to WWE Hall of Famer, Stone Cold Steve Austin live in studio. We get into a sit down with Hulk Hogan. We get into Becky Lynch. We get into the Raw reunion. A lot to get into with Stone Cold Steve Austin. All that and more right here on the Busted Open Podcast. Joining us now, somebody bully that we've talked a lot about on this show, and that is the great Lance Archer. Lance, how are you today? I'm good, man. How are you guys doing? We're great, and you're calling us from Japan, aren't you? Yeah, I'm sitting in Nagoya, Japan. It's about 10.30 at night right now. It would be much better if you were calling from, like, Rapungi. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to hear me then. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to talk then. <laughs> no, I wouldn't, because I'd be getting uh, siphoned in some of these clubs by the, uh, the streetwalkers. <laughs> Dave, you know what a streetwalker is in <laughs> Japan? I do. <laughs> How do you know? I think my first ex-wife was actually one of those. <laughs> <laughs> At least here in the States. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. That was too, Lance, it's good to have you on, man. It's good to talk to you. Uh, let's bring people up to speed. How's things going for you over there in New Japan right now? And how's things going for you in the G1? Well, you know, I'm. I, it's amazing that I, I've been with New Japan for eight years now, and, and the whole time has been an amazing run. It's been the best part of my career. Um, but this G1 tournament is just, I don't know, it's reinvigorated me, it's re-energized me, it's re-motivated me. I don't know what you want to call it, but it's been truly the best part of my eight years in New Japan. I, I've been a part of four other G1 climaxes the first four years I was in the in the company, and I watched every year as it grew, but what it's become now with New Japan World and Access TV and just the exposure it has around the world, um, it, it's just exploded, and this has been the funnest time of my career. I, my, my record isn't the greatest in the G1. I won my first two, and unfortunately, I've been on a little bit of a slide as far as winning is concerned, but match-wise, you know, I think I've personally I've, I've stepped it up I've, like i said i've been remotivated and everything i've tried to do is just make an impression in the wrestling world and, and let people know who i am once again because i've been around for a little bit now 
Well, Lance, you, you had a little bit of a slide. I, I think you've been eliminated. So, uh, but that yeah, being yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, now, I just gotta hurt. Now, I just gotta hurt. <laughs> no, but seriously, uh, and 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 obviously, you know, I've uh, on social media, I've tweeted about it a lot, and I've mentioned it on this show. And it sounds crazy because you're right. You've kind of been there and done that in your career. You've been a part of, of the G1 tournament before. But this actually does feel like a breakout performance for you. And especially on a- Access TV, you've really been highlighted. And the one thing that I've talked a lot about with Bully is the fact that the fans have gotten behind you as well. Watching that match with Tanahashi, it seemed like you really won over that crowd. Did you feel the same way? Oh, man, probably one of the coolest moments in my time, again, with New Japan and part of this tournament. I mean, Tanahashi truly is, he's the ace of New Japan. He's, he's kind of attributed to saving New Japan's business back in the day because they had the dark days of New Japan. And when Tanahashi got on top with New Japan, it kind of changed the whole uh, perspective of New Japan. The business started to grow and get better. Um, and, you know, he's the one that's kind of brought this company to where it's at. And to be able to step in the ring with the ace, Tanahashi, and more or less that evening, for whatever reason, have a split crowd. It was one of the coolest moments in my career. Why do you think there was a split crowd? What about that match do you think made New Japan fans realize that, wow, we want to get behind Archer? I, I just I hope that they're seeing my passion and my excitement and then just how much that I enjoy what I've been able to do and to be able to step in the ring with Tanahashi, go toe to toe, blow for blow and, and not miss a step. You know, I think, I think the fans are starting to see that starting to see what I know I've always been able to do, but this has been my first real opportunity to show the world what I can do. And, you know, I, I know it's kind of a, it's a make it or break it type moment for me in this G1 with new Japan, with the way the wrestling business is going, changing and growing. Um, and so I'm putting everything out there. I'm not letting anything be held back, and I'm going to let it fly. And I, I I'd like to believe the, the New Japan fans, especially the Tokyo Cork and Hall fans, see that, recognize it, feel it, and, and are returning the favor back to me. And I really do feel that first match of the G1 day one in in Texas against Will Ospreay mm-hmm. definitely helped with that as well. I mean, you talk about a dynamite match. That was a dynamite match, big win. And I really kind of think that set the foundation. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's hard to have a bad match with somebody like Will Ospreay. He truly is, you know, not kissing his ass, but he's probably one of the best in the world growing, going up into this business right now. He truly is the future of the business. Um, but to be able to step in the ring with him yet again, uh, a guy who the, the wrestling world, the internet world, everybody that's watching wrestling right now, when they think of Will Ospreay, they think, holy crap, I've got to watch this guy. And for me to be able to step in the ring and, again, go toe-to-toe for blow for blow and, and be able to perform the way I did, you know, in Dallas, Texas, in front of family and friends, the pressure was on, the American Airlines Center, a huge event, biggest, you know, event for, uh, for New Japan on U.S. soil, G1 Climax 29, my return to the tournament, all those factors that played into it. Um, the pressure was on, and I was very, very happy that I was able to step up and, and show the world what I can do. Like I said, I always knew I could do it. It was just point of actually getting out there and doing it. Lance, you were part of a team with Davy Boy Jr., the Killer Elite Squad. You guys were doing right. really well over there in Japan. You, you were having success in the States, too. Did that team ever pan out and get as big or as over as you had hoped it would have? 
No. I mean, I, I think <laughs> Smith and I had a great dynamic. It was a great team. You know, you don't see guys of his and I's size and physical ability really anymore in the business these days. Um, uh, you know, and we created a, a team that I think, especially early on, was something that was very unique uh, in this era of professional wrestling. Um, and we clicked very well. You know, the business as it is, it has its ups and downs, its ebbs and flows. Um, and that's kind of where we were. And with the company, you know, the, you know, we went on an excursion with Suzuki Goon, the whole group that we're a part of for two years with Noah. So we kind of disappeared from the New Japan scene. And that's when, you know, New Japan actually started taking off with uh, New Japan World and Access and all that stuff. Like when we came back, even though we'd already been two-time IWGP Tag Team Champions uh, and had been teaming since 2012, when we came back in uh, 2017, you know, there were people like, oh, where, who, who are these guys? Where have they been? When did Smith start teaming with Lance Archer? Isn't that so-and-so from back in the day? Blah, blah, blah. Like they never even knew that we were a team uh, because the exposure New Japan had back when we first started as a team wasn't what it was when we came back to the company. You know, and, and then I unfortunately had an injury and was out for like seven or eight months, um, and that slowed it down as well. You know, we came back. We did recapture the IWGP titles. Um, but it just never really reached that level that it had when we first got it. And, you know, in the States and whatnot, again, because we weren't getting the exposure um, that other places and other teams got, uh, I, I don't think the team of KES really branched out beyond Japan. And then that's when an unfortunate situation because we had such a good team. You know, Lance, you know, one thing that when, it, especially when it comes to the G1, because of the differences in time, you know, I, I've mm -hmm. been watching it on, on Access TV and Access TV has done a tremendous job of really focusing oh, yeah. on New Japan. And, and I'm looking forward to seeing the, the finals of the A Block this Saturday night. Uh, but right. how important has social media been? And and do you, do you look at social media? Do, you know, after a match or, or anything, do you go back to social right. media to see what the reaction of the fans are? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, there's very few people that can actually keep themselves off social media. Um, and, you know, the, the positive things I always try to, to react to in a, in, a, in a positive way, whether I'm liking what people are saying or retweeting it or whatever the case may be. And if they're saying something negative, I just ignore them because they're not worth my time in that sense. Uh, but you have to keep your pulse on what social media is saying because they are watching our business. They are watching wrestling. They're helping us trend all those little factors that help move along the business. And, and the office is paying attention to that as well. So I think everybody is kind of watching what is being said on social media, who's, who's, getting over at the time, who's doing what, when, how, and where, and, you know, because they're trying to keep up with the G1 because, again, New Japan Pro Wrestling, a company that's been around since 1972, is now truly trying to become a worldwide company. Um, so they're paying attention to what the world is saying, especially the U.S. and the U.K. markets and so on and so forth. So I think everybody's paying attention to it. And the fact that Access, like you said, has done such a great job uh, now, it's like we'll, we'll perform Saturday night here, and then on Saturday night in the States, it'll be on TV. So, you know, the, the lag time that it used to have is slowly disappearing. It's yep. just the fact that Japan's, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17 hours ahead of time, depending on where you are in the States. Lance, uh, you're out of the G1, but what is up next for you? What's the short-term goal for Lance Archer? Uh, just to continue to prove myself. I, I may be out of the tournament as far as the possibility of going on into any kind of finals, but I have two more matches. I have Sonata next, like which would be live on that, or will be on Access TV Saturday night, um, and then I've got Evil at the Budokan, 
Um, and it's two more opportunities just to continue on the role that I've been going to prove to the world, again, what I've always known I could do, but I've just never had that true opportunity to show out as a singles wrestler. Um, you know, and if I continue and finish out strong like I've started this thing, then I'm hoping that what New Japan recognizes is that they truly have a star that they can get behind, a monster they can get behind that they don't have. And really, uh, and I'm maybe tooting my own horn here, I, there really isn't a lot of that in this business anymore. Um, and I truly believe that I can be that badass heel monster that nobody else has right now in the business. But Lance, you've been there for eight years. They know yep. you are this badass heel monster. You've proven right. yourself time and time again. What seems to be the holdback with you over there? Uh, you know, I, I think the it wasn't the team wasn't a holdback at all. But that's just how they viewed me was a tag team wrestler. Um, you know, I started out with the company kind of in a singles role. But then quickly they brought in Smith, and we were a tag team, and we were a very strong tag team. And that's how they saw me. They saw me as a tag team wrestler. Um, so now that you know Smith has made his choices, and he's no longer a part of New Japan, and they put me in this tournament and giving me an opportunity, and like I said, I'm trying to take advantage of this opportunity in the best way that I can. Um, I'm trying to give them a new vision of who I am. Uh, th- yes, they know who I was as far as the company is concerned, but they had a – mindset of who I was as far as a tag team wrestler and I only did so much and I'm trying to show them that no I'm not just a tag team wrestler no I am I'm not just what you thought I was I'm so much more and you can do so much more with me in the future you know Lance this has definitely been a breakout performance for you during this G1 tournament this year and Every year, it seems like you, you kind of catch the wave of somebody and you feel a momentum shifting in New Japan. And this year, for mm-hmm. me, it's Sonata. I mean, he has had one hell of right. a tournament. We saw it Saturday night on Access, the big win over Okada. Right. What do you think of Sonata's right. performance so far in the G1? Uh, it's, it's amazing. Unfortunately, he's only got one more match in the tournament because I'm going to end it uh, this Saturday night. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> he's, he's awesome, man. I think he's got the look. He's got the ability He's that guy that, you know, the company can't ignore who he is and what he's going to be for them. Um, Like I said, you know, Saturday night, I'm planning to show the world exactly who I am as well with Sonata in the ring with me at the same time. But, um, uh, again, there's so many guys that can be that guy for New Japan Pro Wrestling going into the future. And, again, because the company is branching off around the world, we've got a Super Juniors uh, tournament at, at, uh, in September, we also have a late September East Coast tour, uh, Boston, New York, and Philadelphia. Um, so, you know, the company, like I said, is growing. So they need big stars, and a lot of them, because, again, the company is starting to do so much more than just what they do in Japan. And Sonata's one of those guys that's going to be uh, the now and future for that company. Hey, Lance, what's the vibe like amongst the boys over there with New Japan coming to New York and the Hammerstein and Boston at the Lowell Auditorium and obviously in Philly at the ECW Arena, New Japan all by themselves, basically selling out all three of those nights. What's the vibe like amongst the boys? Um, It's the excitement. It's pure excitement. It's the fact that, like you said, uh, New York and Philadelphia already sold out. Um, You know, New Japan's had a couple bumps in the roads. We we did a, a, a... U.S. Uh, house show tour, live show tour, and unfortunately with the, the government and everything that was going on, a lot of the, the Japanese talent weren't able to come over, and a lot of people were upset about that. And I think, you know, what we've done to kind of correct the course on that with uh, the different shows, whether it was Madison Square Garden, 
um, with what the G1 is doing now. Like I said, it proved itself. Now, like I said, people, the Hammerstein Ballroom sold out. ECW Arena sold out. Lull is going to be sold out before too long, and they're going to open up more seats. They've already said they're going to do that. So I think the vibe and the buzz is just excitement in every way to see the company still growing and growing when competition is as big as it's ever been in the in, in the United States of America. You, you know, obviously you've got WWE, which is still the biggest company in the world. Um, you've got AEW, who's just burning it up right now with everything that they're putting out there. Um, you know, Impact is still there. You know, ROH is still around, and we're still working with them. So you've got all this amazing competition. So the fact that, like you said, this is a sole New Japan uh, produced set of shows from uh, Boston, New York, and Philadelphia. <clears throat> Two of them already being sold out. Lowell soon to be sold out and ready to go. People are, we're excited. We're ready to get over there, and we're ready to continue to show everybody what they're watching in the G1 right now and what they're excited about in the G1. They're going to get to see more of that when we come to the States. And, you know, John Moxley, a part, like you mentioned, AEW and John Moxley, mm-hmm. you know, at the top of the B block. I'm sure a lot of excitement mm-hmm. and momentum coming from Moxley being a part of this tournament as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this business is about that, that buzz, that hype, that fire coming out of everywhere. And he's got every single momentum of that, you know, coming off of leaving WWE and then showing up at AEW and then, now he's a part of the G1 tournament, and he's doing as well as he's doing. You know, it's one of those things that you can't help but ride that train and that wave of excitement and hype, you know, with somebody who's doing as well as he's doing. All right, Lance Archer joining us again. You can watch the G1, the finals of the A Block, this Saturday night at 9 p.m. on Access TV. And, and Lance, I'm sure you'll be getting a phone call from me sometime in September seeing if there's any extra tickets for the Hammerstein in New York. <laughs> I'm sure we can slip you in somewhere. I'm sure we can do it. So typical. So typical. Well, I, I got ah. so so to cover it. He's so cheap. I can't buy tickets. It's sold out, bully. Oh, please. Hey, you... hey side note, you guys have Austin on uh, here in a little bit, correct? Yeah, I, I mean, I was more looking forward to talking to you, but, yeah, Stone Cold is coming on at 11 as well. I'm sure he's going to be talking about his new show, Straight Up Steve Austin. I'm, uh, I, I got to make a little bit of appearance uh, with him on one of his episodes, so there's a little bit of connection between him and I on this this episode with you guys. What, what did you do? Um, he he has uh, uh, Sal Volcano. Uh, Sal, if I said your name wrong, I apologize. Um, you know, from uh, Impractical Jokers as one of the episodes, and I was a, a trainer that helped put him through the ropes with Steve uh, on one of the episodes. Ah, that but, should be a lot of actually, fun. If you see the commercial, I unfortunately was getting stunned, but at least it was by Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> and you I think definitely I, don't want to get stunned by Sal. And I and I think there's a lot of people. No, no, not at all. <laughs> I, th- I think there's a lot of Italians that are listening to this show right now that just found out Lance Archer is not Italian by trying to pronounce that last <laughs> name. Uh, <laughs> but Lance, thank my you. Apologies to my Italian <laughs> friends and family. Lance, thank you so much, man, and congratulations on all the success. Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys having me on. Keep watching the G1, man. It's going to be awesome. Uh, you know, and I plan to put on a show with Sonata and Evil in the next two matches. Love it. Thank you so much. Lance Good Archer. luck out there, brother. Thanks, guys. Y'all have a good day. Like what you're hearing? Catch Busted Open live weekdays from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156 or on demand with the Sirius XM app. Here's the funny thing, and uh, can, can Bully see me? Yeah, he can see. Hey, what do you go by, Bully or, or Bubba on this show?
Whatever you want to call me, it's all good. Well, I'll Bully call you Ray. Stunning Steve. Okay, okay, Bully. <laughs> hey, man, here's the thing. You might remember this way back in the day. A lot of times, uh, you know, if we're sitting around waiting for the state, we're waiting for the show to start, man, we just kind of, we're, we're kicking it. We're just shooting the breeze. We're bullshitting, whatever. And so many times it was me, Bully, and Chris Jericho just talking rock and roll because we're all such music fans and talking about metal. And that was one of the way. And Chris Jericho would always be eating his, his trademark patented apple. Remember that? Yep, yep. He's always walking around dressed with an apple in his hands. Like, what, was, what, what is it with this guy and these apples? <laughs> I'm drinking coffee trying to get jacked up, but we're talking music. And that's actually how we became friendly because, you know, when I first got there, you know, it's like, you know, you know, Steve doesn't really talk to a lot of people. You know, Steve kind of keeps to himself. And me and you were on like a, you know, a respectful hello, goodbye basis. Uh, and then all of a sudden, one day we started talking about Black Label Society. Boom. And that was it. And, th- and that was the conversation we talked about. We talked about rock and roll and we, we became friendly. And, and that was our common ground with me, you and Chris. It's funny sometimes when I go back, uh, Bully, and I hear stories about me backstage and people say, oh, he's very standoffish or he didn't have many friends or whatever. I, you know, I, I, dude, I'm a pretty friendly guy. I mean, it just takes no, a while to get su- to know me. No, you're super friendly. But, yeah. but at first, you, you got to yeah. earn that right to have that friendship because I was the same way. Yeah, but it's also, I mean, it's like, man, you, you, you're, you're going there. You want to hang out, you know, talk with the guys. It's fun to, to ride down the road in a car and book the territory but a lot of times hey man you're thinking about the task at hand or a lot of times you're watching the matches to see you know because all of a sudden you know sometimes bully like everybody would go out there and work your arm and it's like well shit man i was gonna work the arm and i'm in the main event so, <laughs> so now i gotta change you know work work a headlock something like that or work a leg so you watch you, you gotta watch the matches to see what body part everybody's going and sometimes everybody picks the same thing so you got to change your stuff up and, you know, I, I always got the vibe that there were so many people that wanted to talk to you, honestly, just to kiss your ass as opposed to be, you know, just friendly with you. And, you know, we had that common ground with the music because you had to deal with so many people wanting to talk to you back in the day and just get five minutes of your time for whatever reasons they had. And our, you know, my reason and Chris's reason, we were just having fun. And that's all I wanted to do was have fun and just kick it backstage because you know, it's kind of like our sanctuary. And all of a sudden, you, you, you get away from everything. You've already done the gym. You've done the thing. You, you've, you've got your flights. You rent a car. And then you're building. And when you're in the building, it's like, okay, man, chill time. Or find somebody to shoot the breeze with like we did. Hey, then go out there and work. Put on a show. Shower. And you'll get on to the next gig. So you're the building for the sanctuary. But you said something that I find interesting because I had this conversation with Baron Corbin once. When it comes to like hard rock and heavy metal, it's a pretty tight community. Like, you may not have anything in common, but it might be just that kind of music, and you could strike up a conversation, and all of a sudden, just like that, you're friends. Oh, yeah. About, really, really about anything, if you find some common ground. Yeah. And, and, and Steve was there when Zach used to come visit us at Monday Night Raw, and Zach was still, he was still kind of pretty. You know, he didn't have the beard yet. He was, you know, had that, that, that you know, that p- pretty face, that beautiful, you know, blonde hair. He, he was still actually sh- uh, showering and washing his hair at the time. And he'd just sit there and catering and BS with the boys. And that was back before he went full Viking mode, to, to your point. He, he was almost like a sex symbol before he just turned into this, you know, never shower kind of guy. And I can't remember if it was myself or I was instrumental in, but helping him get tickets or at least backstage access to WrestleMania 15 which was in Philly, if I'm not mistaken, in one of my first matches, well, the first of the trilogy with The Rock. But, yeah, he's a huge music fan. 
Yep. All right, let's get into the show because everyone's excited about it. I was able to see some trailers and some of the access of this show, Straight Up Steve Austin, which is premiering next Monday right after Monday Night Raw. And the thing I love about this, it's, it's something that I love about your podcast as well, is that you don't do interviews. You do conversa- You have conversations. And I like in this show that you take people kind of out of their element a little bit and have those conversations. Pretty pretty interesting concept for a show. Well, it's a, it is. And, uh, you know, I've hosted a lot of, uh, you know, reality television television type stuff and I got my first swing at that when WWE brought back Tough Enough back mm-hmm. in the day and they, they got me and Booger T, Bill DeMott and Trish and man we just had this chemistry and it really worked and then I did some stuff with CMT and then that disappeared and so all of a sudden I get this this phone call from USA Network and it's like hey man you know based kind of on the things that you've uh, done we feel like you might be good in this role and so they kind of pitched it to me and you know like the first season or your, your pilot that you shoot you know you're, you're kind of it's an experience Experiment. Now it's it's a calculated experiment, mm-hmm. and, you, and you've got this, and but you're you're kind of throwing stuff on the wall and seeing what sticks, and you take back, you know, from it and go to the edit bay and come up with this thing. So, uh, it, it was really interesting, and bully, you can know by this because like we got a chance to film seven episodes of this. And so after, after we filmed the pilot, it took a year to get the full green light on this. And then you, we shot the other six. And it's kind of like there's a lot of things going on, man, and, and uh, you're learning a lot of things. So whatever I did in the past, you know, even being, you know, part of WWE and doing promos and working a 20,000, you know, uh, seat arena or a 90,000 seat arena for that matter, you know, to go out there and all of a sudden you've got 85 people on a set filming you and a guest, and there's a lot of notes, yeah. a lot of things going on. So I, I think I did as, as well as I could is adapting and thriving in the element uh, that, that we were given. And doing uh, things with guests, like things that were common to me or common to them and meeting in a common place or mm-hmm. and exchanging ideas. And uh, humor is a big part of the show because I think humor is a great way to break the ice. That's all we all ever did, Bully, was just laugh and joke about stuff. So... A lot of things going on, and I, I want this to be successful so I get a chance to – you'll be able to check check us out, Bully. I think your last seven matches were better than your first seven. Yes. Okay, so I want that. I, I, you know, I want to get another season because now that I've seen the edits, how I've seen the beats come together, and I have a con- and also have to find yourself as that interviewer as opposed to me one on one with a guest on my podcast. Yeah. So so many things to learn. It was it was very challenging, but but uh, real honored to get an opportunity from USA Network, and and I hope it does well because I had an absolute blast doing this show. And when I retired from the business of pro wrestling, you know, I, I didn't do anything for three years. You know, I sat on my ass and I hunted and fished and, and I drank a lot. And I finally said, hey, dude, you better get your ass out to L.A. and at least take some advantage of the name that you created yeah, in the business of pro wrestling. Of Did some acting. But when I found when I started doing the reality stuff, that's when I said, hey, I dig this. And so life after wrestling, this gives me uh, an adrenaline shot and and something that I'm really happy doing. And that doesn't surprise me because you're somebody that I look at that you don't give a script to. Whether it was your promos in wrestling or even a movie, I could tell that you would react better to a podcast where you're just stringing from the heart or a reality show than somebody handing you a script. Yeah, I I like to be me. I I don't want to be a character. Uh, I just like to be me, turned up at different levels at different times, depending on the situation and, you know, absorbing information as my guests, as, as we're talking, mm-hmm. making adjustments on the fly and go, going accordingly. But again, you know, it, it's a it's a learning process. And I, I, I think I did well, but I think I can do better. 
And I, I straight in anything you do, you, you always want. You, it takes time. You, you did the show yesterday. Well, you did it. You did the show last week. It's day Monday. Yep. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Each show, you, you always you learn can. something. You, yeah. you got to keep your chops. Because if you're doing a show once a month, it's not going to be as good ah. if you're doing it every single hey, day. Man, we shot seven shows. All of a sudden, you get into a groove, and it's like, oh, it's done. Yeah. <laughs> I want to keep that groove going. And, you know, you just said, I like to be me. And one of the big biggest differences I saw is I saw a bunch of the episodes of the Broken Skull Ranch, which I found very entertaining and a lot of fun to watch. But just seeing the trailers and the, and, and the, uh, you know, the, the coming attractions for your new show, it seems like you were able to be you a lot more. It looks like you're having a lot more fun on this new show than with the Broken Skull Ranch. Is, am, I, am, am I right or not? I think so because, you know, out there, you know, when we was out there on a mountain in the desert, you know, and it was hotter than blazes out there, I'm, I'm out there with some of the best athletes in the United States of America, and that was great. I had a great time doing that show. I met some wonderful people. But, yeah, uh, you know, it's it's a little bit more uh, – I'm that tough guy, right, Bully? You know, I, you know, I'm yelling motivational things. It's one thing leads to another. It's, it's very regimented. And so in this, as you see as these episodes go by, you start seeing, oh, hey – Steve's really morphing into himself. He's able to be himself, be more of himself because he's getting more comfortable in his role. And dude, when when I'm when I'm myself, like I am right here, and when I, when I'm having a good time, things just happen. And I I like that, you know, that electricity. And and so, th- yeah, I'm having a blast. To answer your point. I laughed my ass off so much during the show, and I had such a good time. I, I think it comes through the screen. And I hope the the viewers enjoyed as much as I did. And you have some great athletes on this show, and Sal. <laughs> Say, man, <laughs> what, does Bully know Sal? Yeah. Very well. Oh yeah. my God, that guy was like a kid in a candy store. And I hadn't really watched a whole lot of Impractical Jokers until Sal was going to be on the show, and so I had to do my homework. Of course, now it's appointment television. My wife and I watch it every night, and here's the problem. We watch it while we're eating dinner. <laughs> I've almost choked to death about six times watching that freaking show. Those guys are so uh, – it's one of the best shows on television, and they have this built-in laugh track. So they're, you're almost forced to laugh yeah. on, like, so many different levels. Yeah. It's incredible. But Sal – because he's such a wrestling fan. Huge. You know, I took him into a little bit of our world. And so that was an amazing episode. And that guy is so likable, you just can't help but love him. So it was it was a, it was a real fun episode. Earlier today, we had uh, Lance Archer on the show, who I believe was in the ring with you yes. and Sal. And he said he had a blast doing it. And he had nothing but nice things to say about Sal. Sal must have been, I'm going to say it, he's a mark for our business. And he must have been a deer in the headlights the first time he saw you. Dude, he lit up like a kid in a candy store. And for me, because that was uh, that was the first episode we shot. And all of a sudden, you know, after doing some research about Sal and, and we rolled down here to, to my hood and like people off the street are like just yelling at him, Sal, Sal, Sal. And so you realize, I mean, these guys are hot. Yeah. And again he he it was like uh two peas in a pod i fed off of him he fed off me there was this instant chemistry we bonded and he, he was so enthusiastic he made that episode really easy for me because well also he's so experienced in television he's a producer mm-hmm. as well he kind of knew the beats but he he knew the program but just the fact that we bonded instantly really helped me and i needed that out of the gate 
and you know what? And you say these seven episodes, and I can't wait for them to start airing. Again, it's going to start next week, right after Monday Night Raw, straight up Steve Austin. And you have Becky Lynch, of course, in our world. She's huge right now. She's as hot as anybody could be. Major match at SummerSlam. What was it like doing the show with Becky? Man, I had so much fun with Becky because I've known her for a while, and she only lives like like two miles from me. She lives in my same neighborhood. But, you know, bully, she's on the road. I never see her. And so this is this was the most time that uh, that I've ever got a chance to hang out with her. This, this show is a half hour long, but it takes us twelve hours to to film this mm-hmm. thing. So the, the different setups, all the different uh, location changes, or whatever. So when I hang out with somebody, although it's a thirty minute show, I have been with that person all day. And so what I got, bully, I've always known that she was uh, very confident and very uh, goal oriented, and. I really was blown away by how charismatic, articulate, eloquent, you know, she is as a person, as a human being. And she really shined. Uh, her episode is, is one of my absolute favorites. So she looks like an all-star and comes across like an all-star because she is one. So I learned a lot about her. And I, and I knew she was a class act to begin with, and I've been a fan. Uh, but she, she's lighting wrestling on fire, and I'm, I'm so proud of her. That That gimmick, the man... You know, they, a lot of people they draw comparisons to Stone Cold or you know Conor McGregor, or whatever. Hey, man, that 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 that's a whole that's a whole different thing, and she's pulling it off flawlessly. And I think she's 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 had one of the best for the last eighteen months, that probably the most pre, premier run in the history of of wrestling for a female and high profile run, regardless male female. Um, since we're talking about her, I gotta ask you the obvious question. Uh, I brought it up on social media. You replied to it. Why did we not get, at the very least, Becky Lynch drinking a beer with you at the end of Raw Reunion? You know, I don't know. You know, and I, I love that point you, you made about, you know, when we did it, when they called me and pitched me the Raw Reunion, I said, yeah, it sounds like a great idea. I'll be, I'll be there. And we did it. And then you said, hey, man, you could have carried it a step further and brought the other you know, the, the, the younger, the current roster mm-hmm. down there and really made it a family type thing, words to that effect. And then I started thinking, first of all, I agreed with that and I retweeted it and said, agreed, good idea. But then I was like, okay, well, how far then do you pull back the, the curtains because those current superstars are involved in current storylines and, and there's hopefully as much heat as there can be in today's day and age. I remember at when, when we came together for the first Raw after 9-11, everybody was on stage for that and we were in current storylines, but it was a heavy-duty thing. Yeah. So maybe that's why, you know, uh, Bully, they didn't put all the kids down there at that point. But going back to the Becky thing, I don't know that she really needs my anointing or does that – would would that would that automatically the torch, say yeah, I mean, the yeah because she's so much like, or she is kind of like you does it mean uh, I'm I'm saying that hey, you are like me or could it be detrimental that you're in the ring with with Becky Lynch could it be like see, I think she too has much her similar, own thing going it's, it's, yeah, it's okay. like 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 Mitch Hedberg thing he, he says I I got my own thing going I think she's got her own thing going and and, and bully you can make an argument for it either way and it's gonna be fifty fifty I I just don't think she needed my endorsement maybe maybe some 
somewhere down the road if there's an organic storyline that would come up and maybe she, she needs some help or something like that. But I think she stands on her own pretty damn well. I agree with you that she stands on her own pretty damn well. But as you know, everybody needs the rub. And it doesn't matter how high. Steve Austin got as high as he possibly could, and then he needed Vince McMahon, correct? Correct. But everybody can use the rub every once in a while, and I just didn't think it would be bad for Becky and her trajectory just to see you drinking a beer with her. But I totally understand your point of view. Yeah. When I look back at that Raw reunion, Bully and I were just talking about it before you came on. I mean, you have you have Hogan on the stage, you have Ric Flair on the stage, you know, two of the biggest you know icons when it comes to pro wrestling ever. And then the glass shatters, you come down that entrance ramp, the place, everybody stands at attention, everybody's on their feet. I mean, I mean, what a moment must have been for you because there's Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan and you're upstaging those, you're finishing the show. I mean, you talk about a passing of the torch. A lot of people are talking about that's the greatest icon in the history of the sport, right there, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Man, I don't know, but you got to know, but you got to understand, it was built for me to get that pop because the superstars came out, and then Flair and then Hogan. So it was built for the pop. So that you know, there is something in the structure of it, but. When that glass hits, I mean, it, it is a phenomenon yeah. in and of itself. And I live and die by it. And everybody does truly when they go out there. And they had asked me on WWE.com, is, hey, man, what kind of pop are we going to see out there when you go out? And I said, I don't know. I said, I hope it's good because regardless of what it is, it's going to be good. But I, I've come to, to expect, you know, like fantastic. So anything less than fantastic will be a letdown. Okay. It wasn't. And when I went out there, here's the thing, because I heard you guys talking about that promo. Uh, they'd given me a couple of paragraphs to say. And it was, yeah, I can't memorize anything, and I don't operate like that anyway, right? And I haven't been around for a while. And normally, like, when I was out there going to cut a promo, I'm going out there to, to deliver a message. I'm there to sell my opponent and to sell tickets, right? That's what we're in the business yep. for. And so now, you know, I've been asked to go out there and talk about my brothers and sisters and this be, you know, kind of like a family reunion. So you're asking a different human being or a different level of Stone Cold Steve Austin, if I dare say more Steve Austin than I've ever been in a WWE ring while being Stone Cold at the same time. So I walked down there, I got the hellacious pop, hit that damn first turnbuckle. First turnbuckle I hit, bully, I go up, I've got this skull ring on. When I go to throw my hands up, because I've got water, I put water on myself, my, my skull ring goes flying off my hand and it hits the barricade and it's wow. laying down there on, on the uh, padded floor. And I'm sitting there doing my thing because we're live. I can't just go, hey, somebody go get my ring. And the, the, the guys, I've known those camera guys for 20, 25 years, and we're really, really good friends. And I marked it a couple of times visually. They saw me, so they picked up my ring and they gave it to me backstage. So I carried on and did what I did. And before I went out there, you know, you go, you talk to uh, Vince and everybody's that gorilla. And I talked to Michael Hayes and finally I talked to Bruce Pritchard. I said, man, I don't know. I ain't feeling this promo. I said, I ain't memorizing nothing. I said, I don't even know what I'm going to say. And uh, Bruce goes, well, Steve, you know, it's live TV. As long as it's good, uh, you know, the old, the old man won't bitch about it. And then as we were walking up that ramp, I told Jonathan Coachman, as he was talking, we were talking back and forth because I didn't know he was based in L.A. now. And I said, hell, I said, coach, I said, I didn't know what the hell I'm going to say. He says, Steve, just go out there and be yourself. And he goes, you're going to be fine. So anyway, that's a shoot. All the stories I told, they were a shoot. But it's weird because, Bully, 
you know when you go on live TV, and I, I've been, uh, you got to keep your chops up, just like mm-hmm. you guys do at this show every single day. Well, I ain't been on live TV in a long time, and now I'm wrapping up a show, and you know I've got someone over there give me some some time cues, but then I've got to make sure that. I thank everybody. I don't want them, all the superstars, standing up there, you know, with their thumb up their ass, which could easily happen, bringing them around the ring, trying to facilitate all that, then go off the air. And then I just threw up the mic. And then I said, hey, man, how much time we got left? Someone said 60 seconds. So I pick up, there's Briscoe. The South Africa story immediately came to my mind. <laughs> and so, anyway, it, it was a, it, it was about as, uh, it was the most wonderful cluster muck of uh, a type thing, but it was all built for me, Dave. I get it. I get it. It was built. But none, nonetheless, there were so many 316 shirts out there and so many Stone Cold fans. You are eternally grateful every time you go out there. And it changes, Bully, when you don't have a base of work to put in that ring every single Monday night to draw from because you've worked for that. And now I, I just come around every now and again, now and then. But they remember all the blood, sweat, and tears for a shoot of what I put in that ring. So to be remembered for it and be paid back for it in the form of a pop like that is incredible, so I'm very grateful for that. You, you had said that the night before Raw reunion was the first time that you and Hulk had ever sat down and had a real conversation, and you had a couple of cold ones and some sushi, correct? Correct. So how long, take us into that conversation just a little bit. How long after you and Hulk are sitting down do you realize that you're just sitting down with a cool guy who you might have had a misconception about and who he might have had a misconception about all these years? You know, immediately, um, for some reason, you know, man, that guy's been up and down and on top of the world and and, and everywhere. And and, and to a degree, I've I've been in the places that I've been. And I showed up, and it was immediately clear that he was Terry Balea, and he wasn't Hulk Hogan, and I wasn't Stone Cold. It was two guys, and then we started off at his house, and I got a chance to meet his wife, and we drove over to his other uh, little crib on the water. And, dude, it was me and him on a couch. We're, I, was, I was doing a sound checking room for Echo, and I had a bunch of notes, and I, I didn't really refer to the notes. I said, dude, let's just shoot the breeze. I said, there's no way, you know, on a short prep, I can try to cover everything that you did in your career. But I specifically watched the first seven out of the eight WrestleManias so I could talk to him about that. But to, to answer your question, man, it was just two dudes hanging uh, that had both been been there and done that. And no egos involved, just having an organic, real cool conversation and going back to when he came down to WCW 94, I mean, you know how it is, Bully. When someone comes up, you know, and, and new in the territory and they get a spot on top of you, you know, it's so competitive. Uh, that, dude, that's a shoot. That's a shoot. You can say wrestling's a work, but the position is a shoot. you got to work your ass off of where you're at on that card. And so there was some animosity there from back in the day. But I've always been a Hulk Hogan fan. And a fan of, if you watch that guy at over 300 pounds and it's prime 6'6", six, six, whatever it was, the way he would sell, I mean, just, I mean, to, to, to elicit, can you imagine trying to get heat on, on a baby face, you know, and, and he, you could get heat on him and he would sell it and he would damn near, he was like an oversized Ricky Morton bully. The way he could work a crowd or his sense of working a crowd was second to none. You talk about his work all you want to. He did the work that a big man would do. 
his relationship with the, with the crowd, his ability to read a crowd, second to none. Could Stone Cold Steve Austin and Hulk Hogan have worked a program or had one match and it be ultra successful? Absolutely, yes, if we'd have done it way back in the day, but I was so damn hard-headed and worked myself into a shoot. And stylistically, I thought it might have been a little clash because I was caught up in buzzsaw mode. And you know, I, I, he was a little bit uh, more on the, the theatric side, which is perfect. But competitively, I was in a place that, you know, the match never happened. But absolutely, could we and should we have? Uh, you talk about legends. We lost one last week in Harley Race. Uh, we did a tribute show on Friday. Just some memories and thoughts about uh, one of the greatest NWA champions of all time, Harley Race. Harley never raised his voice. If you were talking to Harley Race, no matter how loud the room was, he always talked like this. I mean, I remember down in Kansas City, you know, we'd always go to Harley's house before the matches. Well, this was back in WCW. We was running road hard. We'd go over to uh, Harley's house in Kansas City. He was an amazing barbecue guy. So he'd cook a brisket and all this stuff. And his wife at the time, BJ, would make all these amazing desserts. So all the boys at Harley's house. And then we all eat. And then you kind of go into that coma. Everybody takes a nap, right? And no one just wants to eat and run and offend Harley, you know, the eight-time world champion. And, like, we're all kind of laying around. But everybody kind of wants to get back to a hotel to take a shower to go get ready to work Memorial Coliseum or whatever the building was there before they had Kemper in Kansas City. And so finally Harley would walk in and goes, all right, everybody get out. <laughs> so we'd all go home. We'd all go to our home was the, was the hotel room. We'd take a shower, get our bags, and go work. Take a shower. Everybody would head back directly over to Harley's house, go downstairs to his basement, and shoot pool and drink beer all night long. And I used to ride down the road when Harley would only drive Cadillacs. And that was when the North Star V8 was created. Vader was riding shotgun. The rule, the rule was, and I was in the back seat absorbing information. Whenever Harley finished a beer, we'd drink a 12-ounce cans. Leon had to have another one pop-topped and handed to him in the correct direction so Harley could just automatically start drinking it. And if he didn't, there was going to be the most severe brow beating you've ever heard. And the times where he tried to adjust my neck and almost rip my head off my shoulders and then he put me in a full Nelson gimmick, uh, class act, and from everybody that I've ever heard, one of the toughest human beings in the history of the business, and I've never heard anybody dispute that. But what a wonderful man and always willing to give information. But if you ever got any information from him, Bully, it was very truncated. He would just like a sentence or two. Did you ever get anything from him? I had some brief conversations with you, but you're absolutely right. It, it, it was it was brief, but it was to the point, and it made a lot of sense. Agreed. But everybody loved Harley, and everybody respected Harley, and that was that classic style. Here's, here's my last – got a million Harley stories, but one time we was working right out of Orlando in, in Pace, Florida, like a rodeo arena, and we were all dressed in like – and they're like uh, – Single wides or, or like uh, campers, I can't remember, but it was like an outdoor show. And someone didn't show up, and I believe he was managing Leon at the time, and they needed another match or they needed an opponent for Ric Flair. So Harley said, well, guess I'll suit up. I don't know whose trunks he borrowed. He put on some boots, and I just remember they kind of looked at each other and said, like, 
St. Louis 86. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't say a word to each other and went out there and ripped up the place. And that was one of the things I meant to ask Ric Flair when I was with him the other night in Tampa. When you're in the ring with Harley Race, I know the beginning matches. I know he was listening to Harley. But then towards the end when Flair became the man, who was calling those matches? That's a great question. That is a great question. I got to see them almost do an hour at the Meadowlands in New Jersey in 85. You know, there's maybe 8,000 people in the building, but one of the greatest matches I've ever seen because they just had so good chemistry together. And if you go back, man, how long have you been a wrestling fan? Oh, since uh, Since he was in the womb. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, just through through those errors. And, and like, when I think Harley, I think of the classic wrestling bully. You know, like... uh, not not the more athletic stuff. You know, Harley was about, you know, if he took you over in a headlock or the way he'd post up. And I was watching him slam Andre on the floor of a cement coliseum the other day. That All these highlights are coming out of the woodwork. Uh, and he had this picture in his basement down there by his pool table of him and, uh, with Andre in a, like a perfect slam position. And Andre had his big bushy hair at the time. First one to ever it, slam Andre, you know, 79. A- amazing. But he had that classic style. And I wonder what he thought because – and I meant to ask Flair this again the other day. Ole Anderson hated when Flair would take that forward bump, you know, when he just fall down. Yep. You know, and Harley Harley didn't incorporate that type of bump. He was more more serious. So yeah. Flair started bringing in that showbiz or the showmanship to it. And so I wonder what Harley thought about that that face flop that Flair would start taking because you know that wasn't Harley Race. So we, we I, and I I don't mean to cut you off, but they're really giving us the rap sign. Oh, sorry. I apologize. They're like saying yeah, it's the it's the corporate people, bully. Don't blame. I, don't I, give me that. I, eye. No, 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 it's no, no, no. I, I don't people. care about. It. I'm asking another question because he's just talking about Harley working that traditional style. And I just read an old interview with Carl Gotch, who he basically referred to Harley as a bit of a bit of a spot monkey and didn't and didn't yeah. and he's like that diving headbutt off the top rope is so unbelievable so it's it's funny to to, to sit here and listen to you tell stories about harley and how he worked Amazing. such a traditional style but the guys that came before him were like oh no he does entirely too much isn't that something bully it's amazing how our business is so cyclical about how veterans look at the young guys and how we just keep repeating everything. And like Triple H always says, our generation was always the best generation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but when I look back, I know we got a hard get out, but I, when I go back to that mid-80s NWA, Mid-South Power Pro stuff. That was the stuff that I dug. Yeah, world-class. Wait, wait, yeah. At some point, you got to get me on your podcast. I mean, Jericho, JR. Taz, they all put me on your podcast. For whatever reason, you got me on the pay no mind list, but Ugh. we could talk about that at another time. Straight Up Steve Austin premieres August 12th at 11 p.m. right after Monday Night Raw on the USA Cable Network. Can't wait. Thank you, hey, thank you guys for having me. I've been looking forward to, uh, to doing your show, and I saw when, when I got to do uh, Mark Henry, and you was on the, the, yeah, the yeah, telescreen. Henry, I couldn't yeah. see, so yeah. it's good to be in person. Yeah. I thought Bully was going to be here in person too, man. Nah, that's right. I'm so happy. For <laughs> maybe you, maybe you're if we did the show in his natural room, for the radio. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. WWE Hall of Famer Stone Cold Steve Austin. Thanks for listening. Catch us weekdays on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 150. The Busted Open Podcast. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? 
also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.